Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We want to continue today in our series on Mark's account of the Master of Men. And uh, today we're looking at people reaching out to friends to introduce them to Jesus Christ, to bring them to Him. Uh, we have our EE training starting this Wednesday night, and that's designed to equip you to share Jesus Christ with friends. And I hope that you are equipped, and we'll take that training if you're not, or we'll help equip others if you are. That's one of the things that we offer on Wednesday night. And we have that uh, supper starting and uh, the different programs on Wednesday night as you make reservations for those. Another thing that starts up is uh, key groups, uh, small uh, groups that meet uh, at home. Some of them meet here. And uh, this is... uh, an environment for spiritual growth. You read about the early church, it said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. And that's the environment of our key groups, of our small groups, uh, where you can be exposed to the Word of God and to fellowship, uh, to praying. Uh, an excellent environment for spiritual growth and for inviting a friend to come and be exposed to that type thing. Well, here we have a a case of the paralytic first, uh, where four men are determined to get their friend to Jesus Christ. In verse 1, again, Jesus entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Jesus used Capernaum something as an operations headquarters. And uh, the people there are very interested in his activities. They hear he's back in town. And uh, this creates a deep stir. And uh, he's teaching in a home. And verse 2, straightway many were gathered together, insomuch as there's no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Here's the situation in the home where it's so crowded that you can't even get in the door. And uh, Jesus is teaching, preaching. We read in the first chapter about he uh, preached the kingdom of God and announced that the kingdom was at hand. What an amazing announcement. How stirring that would be as all these centuries God had predicted that one day he was going to set up a kingdom and that would conquer every other kingdom and would fill the earth. Of course, it was a spiritual kingdom. But Jesus is teaching about the nature of the kingdom and about the king himself. And uh, Luke tells us that healing was going on also, that, here's an interesting phrase, the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. An interesting phrase. So all of that is taking place in this home. Now, there's a sick man and his friends who want to see Jesus. In verse 3, they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Suppose you are the gracious host of this gathering, and all of a sudden four fellows tear up your roof and uh, let down their friend through the roof. Well, we have to give these guys credit for being serious about it, don't we? 
they were determined to get their friend to Jesus. And when it came to not being able to get through the door, they said, let's go down to the roof. I mean, nothing was going to stop them. They uh, exercised a holy ingenuity, uh, a boldness. Now, later on, we can repair the roof, but for the present, let's get our friend to Jesus. Have you got that kind of determination about your friend? They were convinced, if we can just get him to Jesus, Jesus can meet his need, and Jesus will meet his need. And uh, whatever problem you have or your friend has, Jesus can help. Jesus can meet that need. Now, how he'll do it is another question. But he can. And uh, it may be a spiritual need. It may be a physical need. Whatever it may be, Jesus can help. Uh, we need that kind of determination to get our friends to Jesus. Now, when Jesus sees this, he makes this amazing declaration. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith... He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be healed. That's not what he said. That's what they expected him to say. What he said was, Thy sins be forgiven thee. What an amazing declaration. Now this could mean that when he, when he says he saw their faith, he's responding to faith here. And Surely that includes the man's faith also, when he says, Thy sins be forgiven, because our sins being forgiven relates to our individual faith. I can't believe for your sins to be forgiven. And uh, so surely it includes the man's faith, since we're forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, gave him to die for our sins so he could legally forgive us. That whosoever believeth in him, in Jesus Christ, not just believes his claims, but puts their trust in Jesus Christ, uh, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So this individual must have believed also. But uh, it could be that there was a connection between his sickness and his sin. Some sickness is due to sin. Now, sometimes that's obvious. If you drink a lot, you get sclerosis of the liver. Uh, if you uh, are promiscuous, you get some sexual disease. Uh, there's an obvious connection between sin and sickness in those cases. But in cases where there's not an obvious connection, it may still be that our, our sickness is due to our sin. You read where Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida, the paralytic, and Jesus said, Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. But it's not always our sickness not always due to sin. You read where, uh, when the man born blind was before them, the disciples said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus said, Neither. There's no connection between his sin or his parents' sin and this blindness. This is for the glory of God, he said, as he proceeds to open the man's eyes. He uses him as a platform to demonstrate his own power and his own claims. But it could be that in this case there was a connection. And when we're sick, we should search our hearts. Is God saying something to me about my behavior through this? Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's a connection. could be that Jesus is meeting the man's deepest need first. The man needs healing desperately, but he has a deeper need. He needs forgiveness of sins. You may have 
terrible needs. You may need a job. Uh, you may need reconciliation in your family. Uh, you may need healing. You could have all kind of needs. But if you're not a Christian, you have a deeper need. You need forgiveness of sins. You need justification. If uh, there was a charge against you in the civil court, and if you're found guilty of that charge, you're going to go to prison, you could have many other problems, but that would be your overriding problem, wouldn't it? And that would take up your attention, wouldn't it? Well, there is a charge against you in God's court. And unless you're clear to that charge, you're going to spend eternity in prison. And there's no human prison like that prison. That's your overriding problem. And until you settle that problem, you ought to forget every other problem you've got. Because you could wind up in that prison tonight. That's your biggest problem. Could be that Jesus is meeting his primary need first. Could be that Jesus is uh, making clear his claim to be God the Son and his prerogative to forgive sins. What an amazing claim. Notice uh, the reaction of the religious leaders in verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? They are scandalized at this statement. What's wrong with their theology? Nothing. They're exactly right. Only God can forgive sins. If I said to you, I forgive your sin against God, that would be blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. The only problem with their reasoning is the fact that God is the one making the statement. God the Son is making that claim. Now, he answers their scandalized attitude as he demonstrates his ability. In uh, verse 8, Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easy to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven? They ought to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Which is easier? It's easier to say, Your sins are forgiven. Because who can see whether you can do that? But if you say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, we can see whether you have the power to do that. In order that you may know that... The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, and took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. He demonstrates his authority in one realm by doing uh, the healing in the other realm. And uh, backs up that dramatic claim. And there's an extraordinary state of mind produced in those who are present. We never saw it on this wise. Now, 
The implications for us, we need to consider Christ's claim, his authority, the evidence that backs up that authority. Uh, he went around making amazing claims, but he gave amazing proof of his claims. Have you considered those claims? Have you settled in your heart what you believe about the man Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he was who he claimed to be? What have you done about that? Have you surrendered your will to him? Have you put your trust in him? Uh, is he the most important thing in your life? Does he control you? Are your choices determined by him, what he would want you to do, by his word? Uh, the implications for us, we need to reflect on how great a blessing affliction can be. This man was afflicted, but his affliction is what brought him, humanly speaking, to Jesus Christ. One day we'll see this man in heaven. we say, you the fellow that was let down through the roof? Yes. Uh, and that's the guy who owned the house. <laughs> but really, yes. Well, uh, how long were you sick? I was sick for seven years before then. Really? Yes. Boy, I was rough. Oh, but if it hadn't been for that sickness, that's the thing that got me to Jesus. What a blessing that sickness was. The blessing that affliction can be to us. If it takes us to Christ, if it causes us to grow in Christ, if it makes us useful, useful vessels for Christ, uh, then we are blessed by it. We need to engage in similar efforts to get our friends to Jesus Christ, our contacts to Jesus Christ. These men persevered. Think of a fellow in our church some years ago in heaven now. Uh, he was the chairman of the tennis committee at uh, Vestavia Country Club. And uh, the pro there was not a Christian young man. And John befriended this young pro and, and uh, had him out to supper, kept uh, just in every way he could befriending him and, and kept inviting him to meetings, to church, whatever. The pro couldn't have been less interested. But he liked John. John was so friendly. And so finally, just to please John, he came to church. But after church, John introduced me to the pro. And I made an appointment to have lunch with him that week. And uh, we went to lunch, and uh, he had every objection to Christianity that I've ever heard. And then some. Dad blamed smart aleck. <laughs> and I tried to answer him. And we made an appointment to get together the next week, and I gave him something to read. And he started coming to church, and different ones reached out. Somebody invited them to a home Bible class. And within a couple of months, Craig Branch bowed his head and invited Jesus Christ into his heart. And today he's in full-time ministry. That started with John Sharp reaching out and befriending him, determined to win this young man to Jesus Christ. And how many people have been influenced now by Craig? Tremendous. Uh, that's the idea. Well, we got a second case here, the case of Levi. In verse 13, it says, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. 
Here's this invitation to Levi. Who was Levi? Levi was a, a publican, a tax collector, the, the, an IRS man. And uh, uh, they, in those days, the Romans turned over the collection of the, uh, the taxes to Jews. And uh, you could keep for yourself everything you collected over what you had to remit to the Romans. So it was a very corrupt practice, and the Jews hated their turncoat fellow Jews who took these positions, uh, and uh, they were excommunicated from the synagogue. Well, this one of these men, Levi, that Jesus says, follow me. Now, that doesn't mean that this was the first contact Jesus had with Levi. It could well be that he'd had previous contact. But now he says, leave your position and follow me. And immediately he does this. And it cost him a very lucrative position to follow Christ in this way. Then you find where Levi gives a banquet. Verse 15. It came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans, many IRS folks and sinners, sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For they were many, and they followed him. You read over in uh, Luke's account of this, he says, Levi gave a great banquet and invited all of his friends. What's he doing? He's trying to introduce his friends to Jesus Christ. And I can imagine that uh, that banquet at some point, Levi stood up and he said, Fellas, uh, I appreciate you coming. You're all my friends, and I'm, I'm sure you wonder, why did I leave my job? Good income. And uh, what am I doing now? Well, I left my job because of this man, and I wanted you to meet him, and I wanted him to meet you. This is Jesus of Nazareth, and he's changed my life. He can change your life. I want to introduce you to him, and I want him to talk to us. Reaching out to his friends. What an opportunity. Uh, what a purpose. You know, uh, that's effective evangelism. How does evangelism take place? How do churches grow? How do people, how are people reach for Christ? You say, if we really want to reach our city for Christ, what we need to do is we need to get Billy Graham here and we need to rent Legion Field. No, I'm all for Billy Graham and I'm all for doing something like that. That's not the way to do evangelism most effectively. Most effective way to do evangelism is just like uh, Levi was doing it, using webs of relationship. Church Growth uh, Institute did a survey several years back. They interviewed 10,000 church members. And they said, how did you become a Christian and how did you happen to join your church? Two percent said, well, it was out of a sense of spiritual need, personal spiritual need that I started going to church. 3% said, well, I just walked in off the street for fellowship. 6% said it was a pastor. <clears throat> he was a good-looking fellow, like Frank Barker, and it really attracted me. Uh, One-half percent said it was through an evangelistic crusade. 79% said it was a friend or a relative who started talking to me, invited me to different things, exposed me the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the most effective way to do evangelism. The average church member has 8.4 unchurched friends 
in their circle of influence, that they could influence for Christ. Levi had a lot more than 8.4, and you may have a lot more. Uh, of course, EE equips us to be able to share with them and to uh, lead them to Christ, to explain the gospel in simple terms to them. So uh, that's a great advantage also. Now, the Pharisees are again scandalized by this, the religious leaders. Verse 16, when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus explains. He says, Suppose you to say to a doctor, What are you doing around sick people? Doctor says, Well, that's where I'm supposed to be. That's the nature of my calling. It's the sick people who need the doctor. Jesus said, That's it. I came to save sinners. You accuse me of being with sinners? Praise the Lord. That's where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to rub shoulders with them and reach out to them, not to participate in their sin, but to win them. That's where we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be a holy huddle of some type. Uh, we're supposed to be rubbing shoulders with those who need Christ and not participating in wrongdoing by any means, but building relationships and building bridges and and uh, using those bridges to introduce them to Jesus Christ. You know, it, it can be costly to do this kind of thing. It was costly to Levi when it cost him his job. Very lucrative position. One day we'll meet Levi. His name's Matthew. And we'll say, Matthew, uh, how much did it cost you to leave that job? He said, oh, I don't remember. It's not important. I've been so enriched. You see, I was able to not only introduce my friends, but then God moved me to write a book and guided me in. I was able to tell about Jesus Christ, not just to my friends, but to the whole world. Did you read my book? Yes, I did, Levi. Was it a blessing? Oh, yes. Well, he says, it didn't cost me a thing. I've been so blessed. Well, let's apply it to us. Jesus is still calling men to follow him. Follow him in reaching out to others. Follow him first in committing our lives to him ourselves, where we surrender our will. We believe his gigantic claim to be the Son of God, to have died for our sins, and we trust him to save us. What are you trusting in? Do you haven't been too bad? <laughs> oh, don't trust in that. Trust in Jesus Christ, who died for your sins. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Nothing in my hands I bring. I don't bring my good deeds. Simply to thy cross I cling. I trust you paid for me. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, I die. Trust Christ. But then reach out like Levi did, and like those four friends did to others. 
as a poem. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you by day and never did you point the way. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Because you, uh, and now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things, that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet, on coming to this dreadful end, I cannot now call you my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. We have that pictured here for us in the Lord's Supper. He was a friend who did reach out and do everything he could do in terms of bringing us uh, salvation. Now, let's rededicate ourselves to following him in reaching out to others and being true friends as we partake of the Lord's Supper.